Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk Jets with Leah Hextall. We learned how Canada's national dodgeball teams, both men and women, performed at the recent World Championships in Mexico. A couple Manitobans, a part of that, with the head coach of the national teams. Plus, our friend Rob Vanstone from the Regina Leader Post chats about Jason Moss and what he can bring to the Rough Riders offense next season. That's coming up on the podcast. But let's talk about the Winnipeg Jets, who fell short in Dallas last night in overtime. But the fight they showed after going down 2 nothing, and really, even when they lose, it's not like they're getting their doors blown off. They fight till the end. They don't go down without a fight. You have to go back to that 4 nothing loss to the Colorado Avalanche November 12th for really a bad showing from this team. Now, here to chat about the state of the Jets two months into the season is our friend Leah Hextall and Leah Jets lose in overtime, but we're learning a lot about this team, aren't we? I think that we've been learning about the Jets over actually, Christian, the past few weeks, and it really started on that road trip through California. Um, Head coach Paul Maurice stating that he felt that their most complete game that they've played was in San Jose. And honestly, when you put Anaheim, San Jose, and L.A. together, they only had that one bad period in L.A., and that was the first period, which cost them the loss. But when you see them come back against a team like Dallas, which let's face it, no matter you know if you're a Stars fan or not, I know that some people are, uh, you know, this is a very, very strong team. This is a skilled team. That's a heavy team. They are built from their back end up. They don't really have any holes in them. And to see a Jets team that has been so depleted this season and hasn't had their full complement because Dustin Bufflin, who they expected to be in the lineup, hasn't been in the lineup since day one, and then due to the injuries – What they've been able to do, what it says to me about this Jets team is that they truly are playing with this no-quit attitude. And there's a work ethic there, Christian, that, you know, I'm not saying that this isn't a hardworking team in the past, but the team had so much skill over the past few seasons throughout their lineup that they could sometimes, you know, just get away with maybe not playing to their full complement and still earn that victory. They can't do that this year. They still have skill, but as we know, they have kind of this group of players that have had to come together, and they're not as skilled, especially on their defense, as they were last year. And really, it's just this team that is working together as a team. And I know for some people, they may feel that that sounds very simple, but that's not always easy to do. We've seen it before with teams that have gone on. Uh, Washington, a few years ago, when they won the President's Trophy, they go and everybody expects them to be you know, in the Stanley Cup final, and they're not. It was two years removed from that where they had the skill still, but they had a different kind of mentality that brought them together within their room and a team. And I don't think necessarily the Jets had that last year. We heard about the ruffled feathers at the end of the season from Paul Maurice. And this year it just seems that they've really found that mentality and they are a team. And when they go out on the ice, it doesn't matter what you throw at them. They're going to work at it together. And I really believe that's why they've been able to come back, especially against a team like Dallas last night. So on this at this point last year, December 6th, they had 36 points. This year, they have 36 points. And we know how last year ended up going for them in February. It just took a nosedive. Do you think this team is better equipped to handle adversity than this year? I think they are. But, you know, we have to remember last season that this was a team that had to go overseas for the Global Series to Helsinki. And that really did mess with their schedule in December and then later on in the season. I think that this team has been facing, as we just spoke about, adversity all 
season long. Nothing has gone their way. Whenever they seem to be, you know, getting healthy and Brian Little returns to the lineup and he comes in for, you know, two weeks and he lights it up and then suddenly he gets injured again and he's out long term. It just seems like they continually have things thrown at them. And and that's where, honestly, Christian, I can't say enough about the job that Paul Maurice and his coaching staff is doing. And this really hasn't been spoken about a lot so far in the Winnipeg market, but as far as I know, Paul Maurice's contract is up after the end of the season, and I truly believe that that's his entire coaching staff is up at the end of the season. And right now, I would say, you know, he's having a Jack Adams-type season. I know that you just mentioned they have the same amount of points as they did last year, but I think we can all tell with the group that he has here this year, him and his staff have had to do a heck of a job in getting these guys together, and they've managed to do that. So I think that this team is very equipped to handle adversity, and I do think it stems the tone is coming from the top, and it's coming from Paul Maurice. And it'll be very interesting to see as we go along here, if he continues to do the job that he's doing, what will happen with his contract status. So the schedule for the Jets in December, for the most part from here, is pretty easy. They got the Red Wings twice, the Ducks, Blackhawks, the Wilder right on the periphery of the playoffs. Now they do have a home-and-home with the Blues right after Christmas, but... I would expect that we're going to see this same Jets team plowing along here in December, not necessarily blowing teams out, but the the road is here for them to have a pretty solid record at the end of the year here going into January. It absolutely is if you look at where these teams are in the standings. But as we know within the National Hockey League, you hear about it every night, not just from coaches but also from players, that there is no nights off. I understand that the Detroit Red Wings are at the bottom of the barrel, but you still have to come out and play. Um, but, you know, it's true. Obviously, they're going to be facing not teams like they've been facing over the last little while, like a back-to-back against a team like the Dallas Stars. But you need these, um, you know, these moments within your season to have a little bit of a lighter schedule. We saw that Arizona had a crazy November. I think they had like 16 games in November. It was just unbelievable. And a month like that could sink your team in the standing. So let's hope the Jets go the other way. They take advantage of playing opponents that are struggling this season because in the new year, they're going to need it. Because as you said, it starts off very strong against perhaps the best team within the National Hockey League right now in the St. Louis Blues. And to your point about, you know, any team is hard to beat. They lost both their games against the Kings so far. They're 29th in the NHL. They went to overtime both times against the Devils. They're 30th in the NHL. And the Red Wings are 31st. So you never know. But uh, looking at the the players that have been the difference makers on the Jets, talked a lot about Connor Hellebuck. But how about the evolution of both Nikolai Ehlers and Patrick Laine to be really the top two scores right now assist wise for line a and goals wise for Ehlers on this team you know I can admit when I make a mistake and I'll say this last season I was one of those people that was not sold on Nikolai Ehlers and I went on the record on it stating that he could be a piece that the Jets could afford to move because I wasn't sold on him I wasn't sure what type of player he was going to become with Patrick line with that shot you know, and that pure goal scoring, you can't really say that about him, even though he needed his defensive game to come around. But as a young player, I felt it would come. But Nick Ehlers was one I wasn't sold on. And I have to tell you, Christian, it was right at the beginning of the year during what they call the NHL media car wash, where they get together a bunch of players and they do all the media for the year. Nikolai Ehlers held an interview on Sportsnet on 31 Thoughts with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman. And I heard the interview And just the way that he was speaking at the beginning of the year, it just sounded like he had this different sense of maturity to him and a different type of confidence in the way he was speaking. And since then, he's been incredible. I would truly say that he has 
you know, to your point, been one of the best players, if not consistently the best player that the Jets have had this year and really flourished. And then on the other side of that, you know, Patrick Laine, we always used to say, if he's not giving you offense, then what is he doing out there? He's not really giving you anything. But he's a big man, and he's managed to start using his body and, you know, making sure that he's developing and playing properly. And I think also this does come back, Christian, to the fact that they're being coached right now to play as a connected unit. The mentality isn't necessarily so much about go out and score 20 goals a night like it was before because your defense is there to cover you. They've been playing in that connected five-man unit – and it's almost like they all have a string attached to them, and they understand that there's, they have to be more defensively responsible this season. But you want to talk about two players that have made huge steps. You've absolutely hit the nail on the head. Those two, Line A and Ehlers, are doing very good things for the Winnipeg Jets so far this season. Now, you mentioned admitting when we're wrong, and I think a lot of people were wrong on it Neil. It never happened. <laughs> I mean, Neil Pionk was a guy brought in, and some people thought, oh, Okay, fine, I guess, when Truba left, but he's been great. There's no other way to say it. Neil Pionk has been an excellent part of this Winnipeg Jets blue line so far. I did an episode of Hexel and Hockey on it. I mean, you look at that Truba trade, and I think when we all heard it, we went, okay, it's a pick, so we're not quite sure what we're going to get, but it's a first-rounder, and that turns into Ville Hinola, who is going to be a very good player for the Jets going forward. He's just got to get some size to him. But Neil Pionk, it was who? And he has been incredible for them. And it's funny because after he was traded here, I remember having someone tell me in the hockey community saying, you know what, don't sleep on this kid. I've seen him play a few times and he's got skill. Well, you want to talk about somebody who's always on the puck, always first back to it, defensively responsible, just stays within his lane and his game. But he's also, Christian, he's still a really young player. I mean, he's got so much room to develop still. And I think what it is is it's just the fact that he's now has this consistency of playing every night, which he didn't have in New York, and he's absolutely flourished. And I just, you know, that trade for Jacob Truba, you know what? Thumbs up. It's been a great trade for the Winnipeg Jets, considering what they may have not got anything for Truba if they would have let it played out. And finally, Connor Hellebuck's really the backbone of what this team's been able to do. You have a rotating door of people on that blue line. Nathan Beaulieu's back healthy. Anthony Botetto's playing minutes. They got Lucas Spies off the scrap heap, and he's actually been pretty good for them too. So I can't ever not be surprised by how defensively sound this team has turned into when back in October it looks like it was going to be kind of a 5-4 game every night. Yes, and you know, those players that you just mentioned, it's kind of this mixed bag, but the fact is is that they've played very well. They've got the job done, but we have to give credit where credit is due, and Connor Hellebeck is playing phenomenal. He is playing that Vesna caliber content that we saw a couple of seasons ago, and he's really on his game. But the other part, which I really like what they're doing, is that you can see that they're managing Hellebeck. He is going to have that load management, which we're seeing much more of within the National Hockey League, of using your platoon of goaltenders and having Laurent Brassois behind him is that confidence piece that the Jets can have. But you know, he has been sensational this season, and he, I truly believe, needs a bit more credit than he's getting because as strong as these players have been coming in on the blue line, I do think that Connor Halbeck is hiding a few blemishes for them. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I appreciate your time and uh, enjoy your – well, well, we'll talk to you when you talk to you. If we don't talk to you for Christmas, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, and we'll catch up soon. Oh, come on. Let's make sure it happens before okay. then, Christian. All right, we'll make it a deal. All right.
We've got our friend Rob Vanstone on the line from Regina. Rob, how are you doing tonight? Good, thanks, Christian. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Now, this hiring of Jason Moss was not a surprise. We got wind of it yesterday. So today's announcement, we you know, the cat was out of the bag yesterday. But in terms of his pedigree, what has the reaction been in Ryderville today? Sort of mixed. Uh, there's some fans who are concerned about his volatility that was well documented on the sidelines while he was the Edmonton Eskimos head coach. There's people who point out that some of the problems that afflicted the Edmonton Eskimos last season, such as settling for a lot of chip shot field goals, that was something that the Rough Riders struggled with too. So there's people who wonder whether that's necessarily an upgrade. But looking at the West Final and the, and the play calling of Stephen McAdoo in that game, a contrast to the most of the season was, was very poor. And and uh, I think the the general consensus is they're they're happy to see Jason Moss because there was some disgruntlement as a result of the Western Final. I've been saying this pretty much since it happened, but if maybe they had a better play caller in that West final, Winnipeg would not have won that game. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you look at the the fact that the Rough Riders lost that game by seven points. Three times in the fourth quarter, the Riders were at or within, on three different possessions in the fourth quarter, the Rough Riders were at or within the five-yard line and ended up getting no touchdowns. And uh, that's what really resonated. And then when you look at how handily the Winnipeg Blue Bombers took care of the Hamilton Tiger Cats the next week, um, people are wondering, well, geez, that was a chance to win a great cup. And it uh, slipped away, and the play calling was widely blamed for that. So how was Stephen McAdoo as a play caller? Obviously, what we've mentioned, what happened in the playoffs this year. Last year as well, the offense went dry. That's a bit different with Brandon Bridge in there. He just didn't have it. But the offense really hasn't been a strength of this team over the last few years. It's always been the defense. So what difference do you expect between McAdoo to Moss? I think Jason Moss is more of a proponent of a vertical passing attack than it's than it's Stephen McAdoo. The Riders did okay throwing the ball downfield, but I think I think uh, Jason Moss likes to throw more than Stephen McAdoo. It likes to throw aggressively, so I think that's a difference that, that people are are going to notice. Okay, now uh, Cody Fajardo, uh, I saw a tweet that he's talked to Jason Moss today. He's really excited about it. I mean, how why wouldn't he be excited about it? This is Fajardo's team now. He's got the con- big contract kicking in, so. Uh, they've got all their eggs in the Fajardo basket. And there's so much upside there. You really wonder where all this is going. But the fact that he did this as a first-year starter, and uh, that kind of whets the appetite, thinking what can he do in year three, year four, year five, year six. Uh, you know, However many years he plays here in the CFL, you really wonder what the, what the ceiling is. And, and Jason Moss might be arriving at a really good time to help expedite or further the development of Cody Fajardo. And Jason Shiver is also getting a two-year extension, defensive coordinator. So the the three big positions, their head coach, OCDC, all locked in. Now, for those who may not know, how is Jason Shivers as a defensive coordinator? What have you thought of him? He's not as, as unpredictable as Chris Jones was, but I think they're, they're, compar- they're comparably effective. If you look at, at uh, the kind of, way the riders defense play they under chris jones they created a lot more turnovers created a lot more touchdowns i think like under jason shivers they were just a lot more sound and it's predictable in some ways they weren't they weren't creating a lot of turnovers but they were they were uh, i think a little tougher to burn because they were so sound talking to rob vanstone of the regina leader post and t- 
get us caught up on the free agent situation for the Rough Riders. Who are the big names that the team really needs to try to lock down for next year? Oh, there's a lot. I think that's a case everywhere across yeah. the state football league. But but uh, if you look at um, uh, Shaq Evans, a 1,300-yard receiver, that's a big one. Uh, Cameron Judge, the most outstanding player in the Canadian player in the West Division, a linebacker. Uh, he's becoming a free agent. That one will be will be pretty huge. Ed Ganey, a defensive back. Nick Marshall, a shutdown shutdown corner. Uh, those are those are the main ones. There's there's quite a few, but Bomber fans can attest to how many free agents there are. Well, I was talking to Kirk Penton a few days ago about that exact thing about how many free agents there are across the CFL, and I asked him the question I'm going to ask you, which is. Is this good for the league? This many free agents? No, I mean, it's. Uh, I guess it's good if you want to rebuild a team in a hurry. If you're looking for a quick fix, but if you're trying, if you're trying to build a team for the long haul, it's tough. When you, it's almost like redrafting a fantasy team every year. As far as you know, maintaining fans and getting people interested, and uh, that, that's a, that's a struggle. You look in Saskatchewan. If you bought a number seven jersey in 2015 for Weston Dressler, it then became Willie Jefferson, and now it's Cody Pajardo. Yeah, it's turned out to be okay, but you're right. The the and football jerseys don't look good without numbers on them. I, it just doesn't really work when you're talking about free yeah, that kind of thing. The, the nameplate might as well be written in chalk, though. <laughs> it's true, but looking across the CFL now, uh, obviously the Bombers win the Grey Cup, and I'm sure that was well. That's actually I'm going to ask you this: Were people upset that Winnipeg won the Grey Cup, or were they? Oh, they finally won one. It's good for them. I think people here were pretty happy for Zach Kalaros and Richie Hall and Paul Apolis, people with Saskatchewan ties, Patrick Neufeld from Regina. So uh, Ryder fans generally don't like the Bombers very much, but I didn't hear a lot of objection to the fact that the Bombers won the Grey Cup. I think most of the fans' anger in Saskatchewan was directed toward the Rough Riders for not beating Winnipeg. So right. that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, took care of those emotions. Fair enough, fair enough. So. Uh, looking at the the future, then obviously the Riders of the West favor or the West Finals, they had it at home this year, and we know that the history is not good when the Riders host the West Final. But I'm sure it's a pretty optimistic viewpoint heading into this off season. Guardedly, so much should depend upon the free agents, right. which you alluded earlier, and how much of that team can they reassemble. The fact that they got the quarterbacking situation under wraps is is a plus. I think that will help with recruiting, but. Uh, there's still so much to be done to even come close to recreating the team that finished 13 and five, let alone building upon to the point where you get to the great cup and win it. All right. Finally, what is the biggest area of need for the riders? Oh boy. Uh, I think they need to make more explosiveness on offense. They, Chuck Evans had 1300 yards, but I think they need to be able to, 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 I think they need some more speed. I think that's, that's a key factor. Uh, Defensively, I think I think they have to get a little younger too because they've got some some older players, and then can they maintain that level of play for another year? So if they can uh, speed it up a bit and, and slow down the aging process, that'll hmm. be pretty beneficial. So what, someone like Lucky Whitehead? Oh, they'd have to get uh, get lucky with some free agents, but I'm not sure Lucky Whitehead's the guy here. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, Rob, I appreciate your time, and uh, I'm sure you're happy with how the Jets have been playing lately. Yeah, a little disappointed. Didn't get the extra point last night against Dallas, but I'll take it. That was a nice comeback. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining me, and we'll catch up a little later in the off season. Anytime, Christian. Take care. All right. We are joined on the line by the coach of Canada's dodgeball, Canada's men's and women's national teams, Victor Gravelli. Victor, how are you doing tonight? 
I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate you taking time to talk to us. So the World Championships were in Cancun recently. Uh, Canada's men's and women's teams both made the bronze medal matches. And how did we do? Uh, we've got a bronze medal on the men's side and unfortunately a, a hard-fought fourth-place finish for our women's teams. Okay, so was that kind of the expectation going into the games that we'd compete for medals? I mean, yeah, absolutely. I've seen uh, the nice thing is Canada is home to some of the best dodgeball in the world. And we're, we're really fortunate to be able to send two teams every year that compete for gold. This year we came up a little bit short on our expectations, but it was a hard fat battle by, uh, by both sides. And we're really happy to continue our, our medal streak at the games for sure. And whose idea was it to have it in Cancun? Because that seems like a pretty good idea. It was a fantastic idea. I mean, unwinding at the end of the night on the beach, you can't beat that. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. So how long have you been involved with uh, Dodgeball Canada? Uh, with Dodgeball Canada, I've been involved uh, for five years. Uh, I've been coaching in Dodgeball for about 11. Um, so it's uh, a lot of milestones coming up for me personally. So I keep enjoying this every, every moment that I get. And when was the first time you played a Dodgeball match? So funny enough, I've actually have never played a dodgeball match myself. Oh. One of the probably few coaches uh, out there that don't have any playing experience. But uh, uh, like I said, I, I've been doing it for about 11 years, and uh, it's, it's been a great time. Do you, do, you, do you get any flack for not having played before? Uh, you know what? I did in the beginning of my career. Uh, luckily enough, I've, I've had some success where I've been able to, to sort of uh, silence a lot of the critics. But uh, a couple of times I, I get a little jabbed. But when, when you've won some championships and in your time, uh, the, the, the critics are to stay quiet. So what makes a good dodgeball coach? Well, I think what makes a good dodgeball coach is similar to what makes anyone a really good coach. I mean, first and foremost, it's, I think it's having an ability to sort of connect with your players and, and get the most out of them. Um, I think that's the biggest quality that, that you look for in any sort of coach. And then, of course, what makes you unique to dodgeball is, is having the right vision. And it's just as important building the right plan to, to getting up to what you sort of envision and establishing what those benchmarks of success are going to look like and, and go after it. So, in my opinion, that's sort of what you're looking for in a dodgeball coach. Okay. Now, it, how does Canada stack up on the world stage? Have we always been one of the top five-ish teams? Uh, absolutely. Uh, the men's program leads in gold medals, won at an international event since World started in 2012. Um, so the, the men's team is, is a long history success. They're one of two teams, two teams that have only medal, have always medaled at the event. Um, our women's team started off our... Our, our history in a really strong way with back-to-back -back goals in 2012 and 2013. Um, the last couple of years, we've been really rebuilding our pipeline and strengthening it. Um, but I'm proud to say that we, we've got a women's team that is likely looking for a gold medal next year. So uh, definitely a lot to look forward to. And for those who is only experienced with dodgeball, maybe either in gym class or the movie from the 2000s, why should people maybe go either watch it or even try to play it? Well, I think first and foremost, it's another opportunity to have fun. We find a lot of athletes from other sports who have made a peak in those sports, a real opportunity to join ours. Um, I, for those who've ever followed a little bit frisbee, I think Donald's on the same kind of journey, which is that it's this underground thing right now, but it's growing at a rapid rate. We're seeing thousands and thousands of new registries happening across the 
across the country every year. Um, so it's something that's emerging. Uh, it's something that's got a lot of appeal, and it's something that everyone sort of can relate to back in gym class. It's just um, a lot more strategic. It's got a far, a lot more athleticism, uh, and it's a great way to sort of have fun. So that's sort of my my sales pitch to anyone that's interested in getting involved. So which is, I guess you got kind of have to be able to throw the ball. You got to be able to dodge the ball, but there's mixed skill sets, I'm sure, for both men and women in your game. There is. I remember when I was in Winnipeg for Nationals uh, about over a year ago, and I remember saying at CBC, we want the grit of a rugby player, uh, the footwork of a tennis player, and the arms of a pitcher. So we're hoping to pull all sorts of different skill sets from other sports that exist. Well, Victor, I appreciate you taking time to talk to us here in Winnipeg tonight. Congratulations on the the men's bronze and continued success with the national team. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?